Welcome back to Season 2 of Talking Points. This season, we're back with another 10 beautiful conversations with some of the world's most extraordinary dancers, choreographers and artistic directors. I'm your host, Claudia Lawson. Today I'm speaking with the divine Jenna Roberts. Jenna grew up in Newcastle and started dancing only because a local ballet studio set up shop in the same street as her family home. But as fortune would have it, that local studio happened to be the Marie Walton Marne Dance Academy, as it was known back then. And so Jenna and little sister Callie started training under Marie. For any outsider, it was clear that the Roberts sisters were born to dance. And by the time Jenna was a teen, she was winning scholarships and accolades before, at 16, she was accepted into the Royal Ballet School in London. In this courageous and extraordinary conversation, Jenna reveals it was not always as it seems. We talk about tough years at the Royal Ballet School, about crippling homesickness, and then the rise to becoming a principal artist with the Royal Birmingham Ballet. But more than that, Jenna speaks about the pressures that continue to exist on body image in the world of dance and her own experience taking laxatives. She speaks of the passing of her beautiful mum from breast cancer and her decision to retire at the peak of her career on her own terms. And finally, Jenna bravely speaks about years of infertility and IVF before making a wonderful and unexpected life decision with her husband, Joe. We're just quickly interrupting this episode to let you know that we're delighted that Jenna Roberts' episode of Talking Points is sponsored by Energetics. Energetics are a sustainable, Australian-made brand that specialise in creating world-class dancewear for the stars of tomorrow. Perform and feel your best at every stage of your dance journey in Energetics' premium, high-performance fabrics. You can see their entire range online at energetics.com.au And for all Talking Points listeners, there's a 20% discount on all Energetics products using the code JENNA20 at the checkout. And the offer is available until the end of March 2023. Can we go all the way back to the beginning? You and I both trained under Marie. And the story that I at least remember is that you and Callie, your younger sister, and mum and dad lived in the same street as the studio. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I think, you know, when the earthquake hit Newcastle, then Marie's studio moved to Pearson Street and ah. we literally lived like at the other end on the same side as the studio. And um, I remember mum just like saying, you know, do you want to start ballet? Because pretty much I want to keep you off the streets. <laughs> um, and we were like, yeah, okay. And that was pretty much it. And I think what was good was that she didn't have to drive us anywhere. She just let us walk down the street and we started. That was pretty much it. Wow. So this is Newcastle, Australia, what, early 90s? Yeah, I think I started when I was five or six. And yeah, maybe six. And Callie was like three, I think, when she started. So she was still a real little baby. But that was it. (laughs) Just because it moved to the end of our street. That's why we started dancing. (laughs) Did you always love it from the beginning? Uh, Do you know what? Not, I don't know. Like, I think the only moment that I can kind of really remember where I thought, oh, do you know what? I think I want to do this is we because we didn't, you know, we didn't have very much money. And I remember mum and dad took us to Sydney Opera House on a trip. And the four of us went to see the Australian Ballet in um, Stanton Welsh's Madam Butterfly. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I must have been maybe like 
12 or something when we did that. And seeing that, that was kind of when I thought, you know what, I think I want to do this. And that's the only point that I can kind of remember. Before that, I remember like not really enjoying things sometimes that much. I don't know, like I remember going to private lessons with Marie and been a bit scared sometimes <laughs> when we were younger, like, and things and like pretending that I felt sick so I could get out of <laughs> out of a private with her and things like that and crying to mum, I don't want to go to ballet. And, but she'd be like, no, you're still going. So that was the only moment that I can kind of remember that, yeah, maybe that was a point for me that you know, I thought, okay, I want to do what they're doing. It's incredible, isn't it, that you say that about Marie because I spoke with her last year, you know, on Talking Points and I still had that huge respect element of fear in there as well, but also just so grateful that she was in my life and for her, what she brought to my life. But there was definitely an element of, you know, I still call her Miss Marie. I can't drop the miss. (laughs) Oh my God. I still call her Miss Marie as well. And completely like still to this day, she's the best teacher I've ever had. Oh, a hundred percent. I feel that same way. And and the funny thing about that studio in Pearson Street is it really was just a house that you yeah. know, had all the walls ripped out and there was just that one big studio down the bottom. Actually, there was two, wasn't there? And then yeah, all these yeah. little, I guess, what were old bedrooms upstairs. Mm-hmm. And so- it wasn't until she moved to that big studio, which is now the National College of Dance, that it really felt like, you know, then it was a big time studio. Yeah. I mean, because it was still like, it was all wooden floors, like varnished mm. wooden floors, wasn't it? And yeah. I, I remember we used to have to go, do you remember like that school hall that was like where we'd go and do like character or oh, jazz right. and stuff? Like we'd have to walk. Around like, the corner. I remember we'd have yeah. to walk, yeah, around the back and like up a couple of streets. Because I remember it was great because... Adam and I'd always go to the service stations there and get our Slurpees on the way. (laughs) Yeah, that's Adam Blanche. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I I guess because I was a couple of years older than you, did you end up going full-time at Marie's? Mm, Yeah, I did. I did. I went went full-time, so my year 10. See, I think I went in year 10. I think you're right. Yeah, I think it's year 10, isn't it? Yeah. So, yeah, I did go full-time and that's when I did like, you know, like I think most people did like you do your solo seal and, and stuff like that. And just like loads of a Stepfords, I guess, trying to make some money. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. To be able to travel and yeah. Yeah. And so then did yeah. you go to Genet that year? Because my memory is that at least at that point, Marie's kids didn't go to the Pre-de-Lazan. Yes, I did because that was, um, yeah, when I, I came over and mum, we all came over actually, mum, dad and Callie. And the four of us, and because they'd never been to, um, well, outside of Australia, mm-hmm. the four of us went and Marie came as well. And that's when I auditioned for the Royal Ballet School. Okay. And is so at that point, is that when you offered the position with the Royal Ballet? Yeah. So I did class with the first years, I think it was at the time. Um, because there wasn't like an open audition or anything like that. I guess maybe because Gaylene Stock at the time was um, director and I guess she hadn't been there very long either, maybe a couple of years um, from when she left um, the Australian Ballet. But, and uh, you know, Marie knew her and, and stuff. And so I guess maybe Marie set that up. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, I went in and did class with the first years and then they offered me, she offered me a full scholarship there and then but said that I've got like, two days to decide what I want to do. 
because it runs differently in the UK, you know, like it's um, the, the year starts in September. Mm-hmm. But I wanted to finish, I don't know, I wanted to finish in Oz and do, you know, I guess Marie's Christmas concert and things like that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, then, and then go in the January time. Um, so, yeah, I had two days to kind of decide what to do really. And I remember like I was really quite unsure and I remember Dad just saying, look, you know, you should like this is an amazing opportunity. You can always come home but, you know, this opportunity might not be there again if you don't take it. Wow. So. Yeah, so I think literally like the next day, yeah, we accepted it for me to start in the January. Wow. And that was kind of it. <laughs> and what were you, 16? Yeah, so I would have turned, I think, yeah, I would have turned 16, I guess, in that July. Yeah, Dad brought me over and I think we left Boxing Day. Um, and, yeah, he, he came over with me and he stayed for five days and then and then he left. And then that was it. And, of course, like back then as well, like, the internet wasn't really great and I had a my first mobile phone with like a pay, you know, pay as you go. Oh, yeah. But it was so expensive to make calls like back and forth. So I used to go use the pay phone and use, a, you know, those prepaid yep. cards and things. So I'd use a pay phone to call home and I remember writing letters. But at that stage as well, it took six weeks for a letter to get to Australia and then for a letter to get back and yeah, so we didn't really do emails very much. Was it lonely or what, what was it like to experience that? I hated it. I was absolutely miserable. Like I thought oh, that, you know, I would be fine because I felt like in, you know, I was like I was quite independent. You know, mum worked like four jobs um, like to help pay for us both to go to ballet. You know, she was at home but not like all the time. So I remember like Callie and I like, well, maybe not Cali cleaning, but I would clean and mm-hmm. things like that um, and, you know, help cook and, and just help around with stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, oh, okay, you know, I'll be fine. But then I got there and I was honestly miserable. I was so, so homesick to the point where I felt physically sick for like so long. And I think as well, like the other girls in my year, they were all from White Lodge, which is the lowest school. So they'd all been with each other, like known each other since the age of 11. You know, they were really welcoming. But again, you know, they were quite clicky and I definitely felt a bit outcast. Um, oh, wow, Jen, I had no idea that you experienced that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was honestly, it was, I can't say that I enjoyed the Royal Ballet School at all. Wow. I think there were moments, you know, there was moments that I really enjoyed. And then another Aussie girl, um, which is like my best friend, um, Natasha Cousin, she joined. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so that made it so much better. And that was really enjoyable. And then, you know, things like I got got a boyfriend and things and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, things got easier and they got better. But, you know, I also got injured in my first year. So not long, I think, and also probably because I was homesick, I got Mm. injured and the school knew that I was really homesick. So I went down to physio, spoke to physio and things, and then they sent me for a scan, but nothing came back on the scan. So they thought I was faking it so that I could go home because I was so homesick. And so they had me seeing like this psychologist to try and help with that. And I kept saying, no, my foot's actually it actually is really sore, <laughs> like there's something wrong. Yeah. And so they kept me dancing and they kept me just seeing this psychologist once a week. And I was like, I don't really know to the psychologist. I was like, I don't know what you want me to say. My foot is actually really sore. And she kept saying, no, it's all in your head and did it and all this stuff. And then I remember my mum, she spoke to Gaylene and said, look, 
there's obviously something really wrong that, you know, she keeps complaining about this foot and blah, blah, blah. And, and Gaylene said to my mum, you know, um, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. The physio doesn't think there's anything wrong, but we will send her for another scan. And if something comes up, I will put her on the next flight out of here and send her home. So anyway, I went for another scan and it came up. I had a stress fracture. And so literally that night she, I flew out and I came back home and I came home for probably, yeah, about three months or four months. Okay. And um, yeah, and rehabbed here. So in, in Newcastle. So I did class back at, back at Marie's to get back in shape. Did you? I didn't know that. Yeah. And then I, I was really reluctant. I wasn't sure if I wanted to go back. Mm. And then when I did go back, it was funny. I, it was like something had switched and that kind of homesickness went away. And I don't know, I started to sort of enjoy England and London more. Yeah. (laughs) And so what during all that time when you didn't really want to be there made you stay? Again, I think it was that kind of what my dad had said, but you can always come home. But that opportunity to be at that school and it's not going to be there all the time. Mm. So maybe just go for it and see. And then the thing is like when I did go back for second year, Mm -hmm. yeah, something had definitely changed. I wasn't homesick anymore. Maybe I needed to have that injury to go home and figure stuff out. I don't, I don't know, but it was definitely better. Yeah. And I guess you were a little bit older heading towards 18, 19. Yeah, I guess. I'd made some more friends there as well. And, and that, so, and then also got into my second year, I, um, I started dating. And so, yeah, you know, that all helps as well. Yeah. So settling in, it just took a really, I'd say it took me a good two years to feel really settled, like in England. Wow. Yeah. It's interesting. I spoke with Stephen McRae on this season, actually, and he said a really similar thing. It took him years that he arrived Mm. at 16, no family, no family friends, nobody in in London that he knew or England, and just so many years just to, I guess, feel a part of that community. It's, you know, it is is difficult to break into those kind of groups. So you end up just kind of staying, you're friends with them, but you always stay on the outside just that little bit. Yeah, they've had all those years like developing all those, Mm. you know, personal jokes and all the memories. Exactly. Mm. And so was the Royal Birmingham Ballet where you wanted to go on graduation? To be honest, I really wasn't sure where I – no, actually I should say no because really where I wanted to go was Royal. Okay. And there is this thing when you're at the Royal Ballet School, it's pretty much just – I mean, there are, you know, there's so many other companies, but everybody there wants to go to Royal, everybody. And if they say they don't, they're lying. Because okay. <laughs> that's it's kind of why they're there, mm. you know. They really want to go to Royal. And so at that time, yeah, Ross Stratton mm-hmm. was director of um, the Royal Ballet. He'd just taken over when I was at upper school. So again, there was like this kind of divide as well because a lot of people were like, oh, the Australians are taking over because Gaylene Stock was the director of upper school and then Ross Stratton had just taken over Royal and there were big, you know, he fired quite a few people at Royal that were kind of influential dancers and so there was a lot of drama. Okay. And so, yeah, there was a lot of people saying, oh, the Aussies are taking over. And <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, he then left and then Monica Mason stepped up and I don't know, yeah, I guess Tash Kusin as well, Natasha Kusin, um, she, you know, I think we both thought that we might possibly get Royal because we'd been working with them a lot because as a student, 
you work with royal, you you get picked, and they pick different dancers, and um, you work with them in their like a lot of their productions as extras, and or if people go off injured, and so we worked with them a lot, which was really really amazing actually to work with them as students. But so we thought maybe we might, and then we both of us like didn't. Um, so we both actually, we got, we both got offered Birmingham and Mm -hmm. Tash ended up declining and she came back to Australia and went to the Australian Ballet Company. I got offered Boston Ballet and ABT Studio Company, um, with a year's like contract for the, for the studio company and then to join the main company. Okay. So I was like, oh, what do I do? And then I just thought there was a point where I really wanted to go to America. Mm -hmm. Um, and dance over there. But I just thought, you know, I feel like I've just finally settled in England. I don't know if I want to do a massive upheaval and move to the other side of the world again. So I accepted Birmingham. So was there like a grief that you hadn't got into the Royal? Um, Do you know what? I can't really remember. I think maybe at that stage, like when I got offered those other contracts, I was like, it's work. You know, like, I, I don't know, it's, it's a job. And I felt really, I guess, privileged because, you know, it's so difficult to get contracts and it's not easy to get into companies. And just because you go to the Royal Ballet School doesn't mean you're going to get a job somewhere. There's a lot of people that don't get jobs coming out of the Royal Ballet School. So, yeah, so I, I think, you know, I don't remember being really upset about it. I mean, it was so long ago now. Mm. Um, but it doesn't stick in my mind that I was like oh, absolutely devastated, you know, about it. I was just happy to have a job. Yeah. And so when you join Birmingham, is it is having that job, do you get a sense of relief that you've, in quote, done it, like you've made it? Um, you know, I don't know. I don't know if you like there's this like relief that like you've made it but I think definitely you know all that hard work that you did from a kid and you know and then deciding that yes this is what I want to do as a career and then mm. well there is a huge achievement and there you got a job out of it mm. you know in Europe as well like the contracts that you're given they're pretty much for life really? <laughs> so it's really difficult to get rid of people is it really yeah very difficult so they either just stop giving you roles to do and hope that you will leave or you end up becoming like a kind of character artist. I know this might sound strange, but I guess from the outside looking at you, you were born with sort of, you know, the long lean legs and the high arches. Um, You know, you sort of seem to be blessed with all those faculties that especially a ballerina or a ballet dancer really need to have. I, I guess I wanted to ask whether like a pressure comes with that. Did you feel that you had to do ballet? Um, I never felt like I had to do it, but I definitely, especially as I got like into the company, I guess in the kind of middle ranks and things, there was a point where I felt like I I had good like technique and stuff like that, but I wasn't like a super... I couldn't do like loads of turns or jump super high. Like I definitely felt like I relied on my artistry mm-hmm. a lot more, but there was a point as well where I felt like my physique was a big thing. Really? That, you know, like if I didn't have the long legs and the good feet, then I don't know really what 
you know, I had to offer. There was definitely a point of that and I felt like the pressure and I think that's where like, you know, a lot of like body image and stuff like that comes into it because I felt like a lot of the stuff that I was like, you know, I was cast in, you know, most things because it wasn't a huge company but there was a lot of stuff that I was cast in that was like the white cat suits and okay. <laughs> things like this that yeah. like, you know, not everybody wants to wear. I mean, not even I wanted to wear that sort of stuff. But, you know, they kind of put you in those kind of things f- because of the way you look. Okay. Yeah. You know, there were points where I was like, if I didn't have the physique I had when I was dancing, then I don't know how that would have gone. Yeah. And there's, with that, as in like having to you know, be cast in roles in those sort of costumes. With that, does there is there a pressure to be thin? Definitely. I feel like everyone keeps saying like in the dance world that body image is changing. I don't think it's changing as much as people think it is. Eating disorders are still absolutely like completely rife through schools, through companies. Really? And it is a big thing. I mean, I know at schools, like I teach kids from schools all over and really prestigious schools and they're still getting weighed constantly at the schools and these schools are saying that they're not weighing their students and I know that they are and they're saying they're weighing them for health reasons and it's like what (laughs) I don't know I I don't really understand it but I mean because we were weighed all through school were you at the Royal Ballet School yeah yeah all the time oh how can that not affect people and like their relationship with food like in Birmingham they didn't weigh you but there was definitely like I, there was times where girls were taken out of ballets because the ballet mistress said that they were too big. I know a few different dancers like in different companies and that that have had breast reductions and, you know, it's still really prominent in, in dance for sure. Wow. It did it affect you? Mm, definitely. There was a time especially when it probably started in upper school before that, I don't like, you know, been at Marie's I ne- and I remember Callie and I were talking about this, like my sister, I don't remember ever like thinking about weight or the way I looked when we were at Marie's at the school. Like I don't ever remember Marie mentioning anything about physique or being heavy or anything like that, like mm-hmm. to, to anybody like in our class. So when I joined upper school, I think that's when I kind of started to, and I guess it's maybe that age as well with girls, you know, like Mm. 16, 17, like, I don't know, you start to talk about it more, I guess. And so for me, I guess it kind of started there a bit, um, thinking about it more. And then like, I think around that time, I like started sort of using laxatives quite a lot. Um, And that took, that went on for quite a long time, probably for the first I'd say year or two, I joined the company and then it kind of just stopped. There wasn't like anything that happened or any sort of definitive moment, but I just stopped. It's incredible to think that all of this is still going on today when there's such a change, mm. at least, it, you know, you, you hear in the media that there is that change, that there isn't that pressure to be thin. Definitely. there. But the thing is there is because aesthetically, you know, that's like the art form. You're staring at yourself all day in a mirror. It's hard to not compare yourself to the people that are next to you. You know, um, it's, you know, and of course, like they do keep saying it's changing, it's changing. But, you know, if you go and have a look at 
some of the schools, it hasn't really, it hasn't Mm. changed that much at all. And I think now things, in the way things are changing, like it's definitely getting more athletic, Mm -hmm. you know, like I think dancers' physiques are changing in the way that it's getting, they're getting much stronger, Mm -hmm. athletic looking, more muscular. And I think it's also because the demand of the ballets that, you know, have been done now or been choreographed, you know, it's a lot more demanding than it was back then. Okay, I see, yeah. So in some ways it's changing, but in a lot of ways it it hasn't. <laughs> and so did you feel that pressure, like, relieve when you were made principal? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's relieved, I think, because it's always there. It's always in the back of your head, like, in the back of your mind, I mean. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it would happen with anybody. You'd go down into the like the fitting room, like when we try on costumes and people would be like, oh, God, this makes me look fat, this makes my waist look too big or this makes my boobs look too big or do you know what I mean? Like It's just everywhere. It, it's everywhere. And the thing is, like, because it's there all the time, it's like passing comments and you just be like, oh, don't be ridiculous. Like, but no one ever really... Deals with it. Deals with it, no. It's like they're just passing comments that people are making or the, or the ballet mistress or the staff ballet masters and stuff they make comments like after shows when you come off stage and definitely heard them say to girls before when they've come off that oh you know you need to um, get wardrobe to fix your costume like you were looking a bit busty at the top you know things like that you know like so just those little chips that chip away at confidence and body image yeah I mean you take it personally but again you're just like oh it's just you know it's that's part of ballet you know it's not like, oh, these shouldn't, <laughs> these shouldn't be said. Yeah. It's ridiculous. <laughs> wow. And had you met Joe, your, Joseph Kelly, your husband, mm-hmm. he was also a dancer at Birmingham. Had you guys met at the Royal Ballet or you didn't meet until you were both at Birmingham? He, so he was in first year when I was in third year. Um, so yeah, he's a little bit younger. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> to be honest, I don't remember him at school <laughs> at all. Technically, I don't, I didn't really know him till Birmingham. Okay. Yeah. So when he, yeah, he joined Birmingham and I actually thought he was quite arrogant (laughs) and I thought, oh my God, because he was always up the back, like doing pirouettes. Like he was like, it's always like that when the young boys join, like they're always super confident and, and he could really turn and stuff. And I remember him always been up the back, like turning all the time. And I was like, oh my God, just sit down, like in the (laughs) rehearsal, like when other people try to dance and everyone thought, yeah, he's a little bit arrogant. <laughs> I'm but he sure wasn't he actually. listen to this and laugh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but actually, no, he was just 18 and just like, yeah, you know, showing off a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and then eventually you both were principals in the company. Was that mm. an incredible experience? Yeah, I mean, we didn't really dance together very much because he's a little bit small for me. Um, You're really giving him all the compliments, Jen. I know, I know. (laughs) Well, I have to say he was a bit small because I wasn't too tall. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We danced together a couple of times. Yeah, he's a great, you know, he's a great partner. He's an absolutely amazing dancer Um, and he's great to work with because he's so chilled, like he's so relaxed about everything. You know, you never had to worry about anything on stage with him. And who was you? you, I've read your partner that you were almost always paired with. Is it Ian? Ian Mackay. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. So he was probably my longest, yeah, running partner. There was two guys. There was him and Tyrone Singleton Mm -hmm. that were, I mean, I was so lucky because they are seriously, I'd have to say, probably some of the best partners, like actually in the ballet world, like absolute phenomenal partners. So I was super, super lucky that I had, yeah, this um, partnership with both of them. Mainly, I'd say I probably danced with Ian the most Mm -hmm. over the 15 years. But, yeah, just absolutely incredible, yeah, Uh, to work with. Jen, you don't have to answer this if it's too personal. Mm, But in the background, your beautiful mum, did you want to talk about her journey that was happening in the background while you were were dancing? Uh, Both Callie and I were in the company, yeah, because my sister ended up, she joined after she graduated from upper school, she joined Birmingham as well, which was amazing um, because, yeah, we got to spend so much time together. And I think as well because then mum and, you know, mum and dad could come and watch shows and be dancing. Yeah, it was really cool. So, yeah, some point during that time, um, mum got diagnosed with secondary breast cancer. She'd had it back when we lived in Australia um, 10 years prior to that. Had she really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. So she would have probably been in her, yeah, early 40s. And she got, yeah, diagnosed back here when we were all here. But they caught it quite early. Yeah, and then she was in remission for 10 years. And then it came back. And, of course, like, you know, sort of secondary breast cancer, it comes back really, really aggressive. So, yeah, for about two years that was, yeah, it was really tough. It was really tough. I mean, she was in hospital a lot of the time. And then we made... The decision, well, she wanted to come back to Australia. So her and dad had always planned to come back to Oz at some point, get her back because at this stage she was really, really sick. And so we managed to get her on a flight and she flew back and she went straight into the hospice in in Sydney. And um, we were we were still over in England at the time and we all flew over. So Joe came with me and Callie and her husband, Kendall, Mm -hmm. and we all flew to Sydney and we were, yeah. And like work was amazing. At this stage, Callie had retired from ballet. Okay. Yeah. We got mum back to Oz and work was amazing because they let Joe and I have so much time off work so that we could be here. Mm -hmm. And yeah. And we, we, um, we were just here with mum in the hospice for, yeah, the six weeks. Um, wow. And then, yeah, she passed away. It will be eight years in September Yeah, yeah okay. that she's been gone. I can't believe it's eight years. It just seems no. like it has flown. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Like, it, you know, on one hand it, like, seems like a long time ago and, then, you know, on the other it's like, God, it seems like yesterday. It was really hard and I think, you know, and then afterwards, like, going back to work, I kind of thought that I would be all right with it. Um, and that, you know, I was kind of one of those people that's very much like, if I just get on with things, it's fine. But not realizing that, you know, that kind of thing, when it happens, it hits you at really, a really, really strange times. And there were some really, really hard times at work. And, and I think cause Callie wasn't at work anymore either because she'd retired. So. Oh, of course. Yeah. And I think for for her it was difficult as well because she moved with her husband to Brighton so she didn't have she didn't really know that many people in Brighton at that time so yeah there was you know I think yeah we both went through quite a lot and dad had moved to Australia so he was really far away again a lot of 
tough times for everybody yeah. during that. Yeah. I'm so sorry to lose your mum in your 20s. It's it's so, I can't even imagine, to be honest. Yeah, you know, it's it's so tough. And I think that, you know, it's like anybody that loses anyone that they're really, really close to. Everyone says, oh, you know, oh, it gets easier, it gets easier. And I, I don't think it does. Like, I don't think it does get easier. But I think you just learn to live with it and you learn to deal with it. Mm. And you just find ways of of coping with it. Wow, Jen, it's so interesting hearing your story because from the outside, someone looking in, you think this person has had this dream run, mm-hmm. and you know, oh, accepted into Royal Ballet in London at 16 and then yeah. straight into a company. But just like that, what is happening in real life is often just so different. It is, you know, like I, you know, I had some really, I had some really bad injuries when I was in the company as well. Like one I had was when I was in my, yeah, my 20s and I was kind of starting to do well in the company. I'd already been promoted to first artist, I think. And um, I hurt my foot and I was just like, you know, young and stupid and was like, I'm, you know, I'm just going to keep dancing. And it was, you know, it just got worse and worse and worse, but I managed it, like took a lot, a lot of, you know, anti-inflammatories, like okay, yeah, ridiculous amounts to try and cope with it and cope with the pain. Before I knew it, it was like two years. I remember doing a show and I was like, oh my God, my foot was so bad. And I came off after the solo and it was probably one of the worst like things I'd ever danced. And I was like, I just can't do this anymore. I think my foot's just going to, I just don't know. I don't even know if I can releve like onto point. And so I went to physio and I was like, look, I have to go off. And they were shocked. They were like, why? Because I was so good at hiding it. Like really? no one knew about it. And I was like, you know, I've, I've really hurt my foot. I have to go off. So anyway, they sent me for an MRI scan and it came back. They had this like, it was a stress fracture, but because I danced on it for two years, it had gotten so big that there was just no way it was going to close on itself. So I ended up having this operation, which apparently at that time, it was only the second time they'd ever performed this operation in the world. Another time was there was this one other girl, a basketball player in um, America. Wow. And, um, yeah, so I had 14 consultants on my, <laughs> on my opera, watching my operation <laughs> via, like, video link. And, um, yeah, so they opened up my foot. And once he started sort of, it was my second metatarsal. And once they started like going in, apparently the bone just like crumbled and you could pretty much almost see through to the bottom, like see right through my foot, like a big hole. So they took like bone marrow from my hip and then they kind of like mix that up and make like a putty. And then they put two pins in my foot with the bone marrow. And then, yeah, it was like a year, I think almost a year and a half completely off. Wow. I was on, yeah, crutches for just over six months. No, yeah, no, crutches for three months, a boot for six months. And then, yeah, Is and your, then it was slowly getting back. <laughs> how does your headspace deal with that? Oh, it was awful. I think because at that age I was like 20 as well and I was like, you know, that's it. My, well, when I went into the operation, he was like, you know, we've not done this before. We don't know what we're going to find. You need to be aware that this could be the end of your career sort of thing. So that, I think, I mean, I don't think that really registered when he said that because, yeah, I don't even remember being like that upset or anything about, I think it just didn't register with me that that could be, this could be it. 
it was a really dark time actually. I think, you know, I think I cried for like the first two months to be fair. But then, you know, slowly came out of it and, you know, and you and you come back and it took a long, long time. Like I think probably all in it probably took two years to get back to like full strength and feeling confident and, you know, and that in, in dancing again. And ballet's not one of those careers that you can just easily sort of, you know, transfer those skills, like other than teaching and, you know, it just, it doesn't lend itself to a quick change of career if that happens. No. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, but, you know, I think as well, like been out of it for that long as well, it kind of made me appreciate mm. other, you know, so much, you know, so many more other things. And also it didn't make me appreciate ballet more as well. And also realize like what kind of a bubble <laughs> you're in when you're in it. And it's like, I mean, dancers are like the biggest moaners in the world. <laughs> we moan about everything. <laughs> and, and so, you know, when you're out of it, you realise actually like the things you're moaning about are absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> and so I think you can't, you know, you get a different perspective on it. And I think, you know, and when you come back after having huge injuries, it, you know, you have like this newfound awareness sort of thing for your body and for what it can do mm -hmm. and also for whatever you're doing at the time, where, you know, whether it's ballet like the art form or whether it's in athletics and or sports or things, you know, you have this new new perspective and a yeah. new awareness. And so you retired in 2018. Yes, yeah. What made you retire? What What was the thought process in leading up to that? Um. You know, like I, I, to be honest, it was like a long, it was probably a good, like almost two years of thinking about it. Really? Um, yeah, yeah. Like I knew that I wanted to, to stop when I was still really loving it, mm -hmm. really loving it. You know, when you do it for so long and we've, you know, we did it from the age of like pretty much when we're babies that, you know, you can towards the end get a bit bitter about things and you know, that can change and you don't end up loving it as much as you used to. And so, yeah, I wanted to like still really love it. I didn't want an injury to be the reason. Yeah. And I wanted it to be like, I wanted to still be dancing at like the top of my game. And I didn't want it to be somebody else's choice. Like I didn't want it to be that, you know, because we all get to that point, you know, and as you get older, your body can't do what it used to. And then you get to the point where you kind of tip over the edge and you start to you just can't do the things that you used to do or dance as well as you used to. Mm -hmm. And so then the director will stop giving you things to do or, you know, like yeah. it you just changes. slow faded out. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't want that. I mm -hmm. wanted it to be my choice because I feel like, you know, as a dancer, I don't feel like, I feel like we don't get that many choices. You know, we're told mm. what time class is, what we're doing in class, what we're rehearsing today, what we're cast as. Yeah, that's so true. You don't get that many choices, but I feel like that was one choice that I could make was like when when I wanted to stop and that nobody else could take that from me sort of thing. So, yeah, that was like a big thing. So and I knew that Romeo and Juliet was coming up towards the end of like one of these seasons. And so, um, and I was like, you know, 
perfect. That was one of my first full lengths that I did. So it was like a bit full circle yep. and it's one of my favorite roles. So, and it's not too stressful. You don't have to worry about like any hard steps. <laughs> so I was like, great, let's go for that one. <laughs> so it's kind of how that came about really. And, um, and it was amazing because everybody came. That last performance, was it how you'd hoped it would be? Oh God. Yeah. I was honestly like, <laughs> yeah, I was so happy because I know a lot of like, there can be a lot of pressure on that last show, mm. you know, if anything happens or, you know, if it's not your best one and blah, blah, blah. But I think actually that whole, my last season of like been in the company and dancing was probably my favourite year wow. ever in my whole career. I absolutely, I think because I kind of took the pressure of myself and was just like, I've just got to go and enjoy it because it's the last time that I'm going to be doing this. So I absolutely loved that last that last year, everything I danced, like I had so much fun. I was just really, really enjoying it. So for me, that last show was absolutely amazing. Honestly, it was like, could have been, for me, like just per, on my personal level, I don't know, technically, who knows? It probably probably wasn't that great, but, sure but it, it was. was like, <laughs> but for me personally, like it was absolutely perfect. It couldn't have been better. I enjoyed it so much. Like, and yeah, I was dancing with like one of my long-term partners, Tyrone. And it was just, it was, we joined the company the same year. So it was, it was really amazing. And, and I had all, you know, all my family there and Marie came over as well. And amazing. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was, it was absolutely amazing. So yeah, I just loved it. Wow. And so Joseph or Joe, your husband has yep. now just been named the newest principal artist with the Australian Ballet. Yes. So after yeah. what, it must be nearly 20 years since you've lived Tw here. Is that right? 22 and a half years. Yeah. It's been crazy. So yeah, we've just literally, I mean, he's been in the company now just over a month. Amazing. He's, he joined. Yeah. So um, yeah. It's, it's very exciting. <laughs> and we've spoken about this a little bit. Did you want to talk about what's been happening in the last few years since you retired? Yeah, we kind of, I guess we have kind of kept it a secret, but not, I mean, yeah, some people know. But yeah, I guess like for the last six years, we were trying for a baby, but it just wasn't working. So we had to go down the IVF route. So, which, yeah, was kind of really tough. And I guess, and it's really funny, but like, I don't know, when we started doing, like having to go down that kind of route, I don't know, that was like the first time I actually felt like an adult. <laughs> I was like, oh my God, I feel really grown up. I don't know why, like, it was like everything got really serious all of a sudden. But that's yeah, a long so, time, like six years. It's easy to quickly yeah. say that that is a lot of emotional it's, roller coaster. It is, yeah, definitely, definitely. It's, yeah, it's been a really long tough road for sure. And, you know, when I speak to people about it and stuff that have been through really similar things, you know, it can go either way for your relationship. But I think for us, it definitely, we were really, really lucky and it brought us even closer and made us stronger. So we were really lucky in that way. And he, you know, Joe's just been amazing. And um, during the whole thing, yeah, it's been a long road. We, you know, we had three rounds of IVF and then realized that, you know, my eggs were just no good, <laughs> I oh, guess. Jen, I'm so sorry. Um, and so, yeah, we had to go down the, well, we decided, we didn't have to, we decided to go down the egg donor route. 
Amazing. So, yeah, it's been a totally different path for us. So, yeah, we had uh, two rounds of egg donor and then the second round worked. (laughs) Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, so I'm currently, well, it's still early, but I'm currently 12 weeks. So, um, yeah, and actually, so... Maybe by the time this comes out, I don't know how long, <laughs> how far along I'll be then. But yeah. Oh, so, what a beautiful new chapter to have. Yeah. Yeah. And, and coming home for that as well. Like, yeah, it's it's so nice. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's been a real roller coaster, but it's kind of, in a way, I kind of, there's something quite nice about it. <laughs> wow. That <laughs> oh, it's not Jen. sort of the usual way. So it's exciting. <laughs> so exciting. Thank you yeah. so much for today. It's just been so beautiful to talk to you and honestly just to learn so much about your life that you know it's not the story that's printed in the program or (laughs) on wikipedia you know just to hear the actual you know ups and downs of normal life is really it's really so lovely to hear yeah not not all the glamour so wonderful i can't wait to see you and i know quickly meet little bob jenna and her husband joe kelly have just relocated from london and are now based in Melbourne, where Joe has joined the Australian Ballet as their newest principal artist. Jenna continues to coach and teach the rising stars of dance, all while running her own Pilates studio tailored for dancers and athletes. To continue to follow all of Jenna's adventures, you can find her on Instagram at Jenna underscore Callie underscore Pilates. Jenna and I recorded remotely, with Jenna dialing in from Melbourne on the land of the Kulin people. Jenna's episode was produced in Sydney on the land of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, to all of whom we pay our greatest respects. Talking Points is produced by Fjord Review. Remember to subscribe to get the episodes as soon as they're released, and if you like us, please leave a five-star review. On the next episode of Talking Points, and the final episode of the season, I speak with Paul Mercurio. I got a phone call from this bloke, Bez Lerman, and He told me a little bit about this film he was doing and he was interested in me choreographing Scott's illegal steps, Scott's naughty steps. Your host and producer is me, Claudia Lawson, with additional production by Penelope Ford and Clint Topic. Sound production and editing by Martin Peralta at Output Media. And for the latest in all things dance, head to fjordreview.com.